A quick note before we get started. Did you know we have an email list? Go to hpleadershippodcast.com and enter your email into the form at the bottom left to sign up. Get our PDF on common obstacles and teamwork sent right to your inbox. Subscribers get first listens on new shows and exclusive content. Sign up today, hpleadershippodcast.com. On episode 36 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, Mark Hemian. I have seen thousand person companies, billion dollar companies come to their knees over the issue of color, copy, layout, look and feel. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Randy Lane. Today, we're talking with Mark Hemian, founder and CEO of Design Inc., His company connects designers with businesses that need their services. In the past, Mark has worked with companies like Google, YouTube, and Dig. We talk with him about the challenges of starting a new business, creating a positive workplace, and much, much more. Now our chat with Mark. I'll tell you a little bit about us, but I want to know a little bit about you before we kind of jump into it. I am a, uh, I'm a designer. I'm also a painter. I'm trying to do 30 paintings in 30 days right now. It's about killing me. I was up till four in the morning and that wow. sucked. I was a designer at dig, dig.com mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. before it lost to Reddit in 2009. <laughs> uh, I then started a startup with some friends from dig called flick and flick was acquired by YouTube. Flick was a movie review site based on just on what your friend said on Twitter. So if you're like, oh, is Avatar any good? I could like pop on there and be like, oh, uh, Joel said it's like Fern Gully meets Pocahontas. All right, cool. <laughs> and so and so that that was cool. I was at YouTube and Google for four years. While I was at YouTube, um, 2011 to 2014, I led, you know, did, was part of like, YouTube's like first real redesign, right? So before that, YouTube was like, wireframing and kind of not that cool. It's still wireframing and not that most amazing, but I, it was neat because there was only 10 designers when I was there. And then dude, it's like 120 now. It's crazy. Mm. And during that, it was kind of like this Renaissance period of design for YouTube. We like, when I got there, there was no iOS app. There's no Android app. We didn't even really have a mobile view of it. In fact, people were like, why would anyone watch a movie on their phone? That's stupid. That's like a waste of time. And now it's like, (laughs) That's all we do. I did work on the self-driving car project for a couple months. The self-driving car folks hate it when I talk about it because I think they feel like my time there was so short that like I didn't earn the right to talk about it. They're a little pretentious that way. But I developed an app that like it's a self-driving car. So how the heck do you tell it to like pick you up and like make a stop at Whole Foods? So So I designed an app that it looks very much like Uber, actually, ironically. So I just did that for a little sprint. Um, I worked on some other projects at Google, but mostly I'm known for YouTube stuff. I worked on like the YouTube player, for example, like the little, the triangle, you know, mm-hmm. this is the, 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 the pinnacle of my design career is the triangle. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that was fun. We had the Olympics happen and a bunch of cool stuff and YouTube was just really neat. So I left YouTube and Google in 2014 and I started a company called North with a guy named Kevin Rose. Uh, Kevin's a pretty internet famousy kind of dude. We called it North and the premise, we raised 5 million bucks and the premise was, can we build an app 
every four, like one every four months for five years. That's what our goal was. And if we found one that we thought was cool, we just dumped more money and more resources on it because he was working at Google Ventures at the time. And so mm-hmm. he was writing these seed checks to, to people for like 250 grand and he kind of got sick of it. And he's like, dude, this, I have to meet with like a hundred people to like find 10 that are worth funding. He's like, dude, why don't we just like build 20 apps? Because the reason for 20 is because turns out, at least from Google Ventures data, one out of 20 actually even do anything. Hmm. You know, like if you're an angel investor, dude, it sucks. Like <laughs> you get you get screwed on most of your investments, right? So you have to like if you want to like make any kind of money, you have to invest in at least 20. Really? So that's what yeah, it sucks. So that's 20 companies, two hundred thousand bucks each. I heard so some what, crazy statistic that like eighty nine percent of apps are only they're downloaded once and never opened yeah, again. Man. Oh yeah, and it's even worse. Like we download less than one. It's like 0.7 apps a month now. I think there was a gold rush there, like 2014, 2015, yeah. where we all were curious and trying. But like, I mean, I don't know what's on your phone right now. Like it's <laughs> probably like Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, yeah. yep. Messenger, kind of like the nor- Google Maps. Yeah. Right. But unless unless it's adding value to your life, like we are not patient with this stuff anymore. This is. This is uh, a big priority. And I think that people are becoming, becoming a lot more conscious about how much time they hear. I'm noticing people actually put these down during dinner now. Mm-hmm. So it's been cool to see like new norms emerge in people's behavior. So anyway, Kevin and I built uh, – we built a thing called Watchville. It was about wristwatches. It took off and we actually ended up taking our startup and merging with a large watch company called Hodinkee. Kevin decided to, he's in New York. He's the CEO of Hodinkee, H-O-D-I-N-K-E-E. It's Czechoslovakian for watch. And if you're a watch person, I am. That's like, who is? Who's I a watch am. person? I'm a big watch person. I'm not, Are you? Yeah, and I haven't heard of that company. Why well, have then you you're not a big, big watch person. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess I'm not big enough. So that's okay. So download Hodinkee, download okay. our app, go to Hodinkee.com. Wonderful editorial. We write, you know, four to five articles a day. Everything you want to know, if like you want to know about Speedmasters or Rolex or collecting vintage or like how to kind of be successful on eBay if you're buying and selling, how to think about the dude. It's it was started by a guy named Ben Clymer, and you can download our app Watchville too. Actually, Watchville cool. just all Watchville does is like a it consolidates all the watch news on the web into one platform. Hmm. So it's just nice stuff. Um, it's going to screw you because you're probably going to end up buying a watch or two. That's okay. <laughs> and one thing, and so the business we launched out of Hodinkee that's really cool is you can buy vintage watches on there. Uh-huh. And we've, brought, we've already brought them in. We've, we open them up. We have a watchmaker look at them, inspect them, make sure they're like real, mm-hmm. um, service them and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you can get some really good deals there, man. There's some watches that show up there sometimes like that are like 500,000 bucks. Wow. That are there are watches that are worth you know ten grand. There's also watches on there that are priced at like two hundred grand, mm-hmm. like a Rolex Daytona <laughs> and some other kind of. So anyway, watches are not for me, <laughs> but that was just the promise that we had. We started this thing, this thing, and and the first app we built was called Tiny. And I've written some stuff on Medium about this. Tiny was kind of like Snapchat Stories, but. We only we only had like a hundred thousand users. It didn't do very well. I mean, it did well, but like when you're doing a consumer app, people like are like, "Oh no, this thing needs to be like ten million to be oh, worth yeah. anything." So like, okay, well, we're not at ten million, so <laughs> anyway. Um, and I've now started. So then, so then I told Kevin, I was like, "Hey, dude, look, since Hodinkee's rocking, and we kind of figured out what we got, then let's 
I, I'm, I got to go scratch my own itch, man. I'm going to go start my own company, which brings us today. I've been, we've been going for about 11 months now. It's called Design Inc. And we are a platform that help, makes it really easy to find creative people, designers, UI people, illustrators, photographers, all this kind of stuff. You know, I, I got a tweet like my goal is how to like basically empower, employ, motivate, facilitate 10,000 creative people to make money, to make a living. Whether, you know, most of these folks are freelancers, they're all over the country, all over the world. And our platform is really simple. You go there, you're like, hey, I need a logo for my podcast. And then you get five proposals back from designers. The little secret sauce is we, we ask designers to pay like five bucks to send a proposal back to you. Hmm. Is that so we added, so which is a little counterintuitive. We added that friction. We asked designers, "Hey, would you pay to send proposals?" And then everyone's like, "No," and <laughs> and like, well, "No, we're designers. They, people should like walk on our ground and like do whatever we want." But what we found that was interesting was all these job boards and these things that are out there. If you just like make it like wide open, then you know you're gonna say, "I need a logo for my podcast." You're gonna get like 50 proposals, and right. you're not gonna know what to do with it. You're like, "Screw this! I just needed a thing for iTunes. Like, why? This is a waste of my time." Mm-hmm. But if you get five people that actually are like, oh my gosh, I love high performance leadership. I checked out your site. I have some really good ideas. You're like, you're stoked. You're like, oh, this person like is actually a human being and they get me. So when you make people pay for something, that's the best way to figure out market fit. And it's the best way to figure out if you've developed something interesting or not. So we just, after, after, you know, 10 months, we just launched this version of Design Inc. in December. Before that, you guys, we screwed up. We built messaging, payments, like we built a whole like operating system for a freelancer because we said, of course, they need to automate. They need help with all this other stuff. That was wrong. Hmm. They don't need that. They already, they, someone used, some use QuickBooks or FreshBooks and they all have like their own quirky ways and we were totally wrong. We asked them too, hey, would you want something like this if we built it? And they were like, sure, yeah, build it. And then, (laughs) and we built it and no one used it. Yeah. And, uh, and so we've done this thing now we experimented with type form and some janky stuff and it worked. So anyway, we're, we're, we're kicking butt now. All the designers, I screen every single person, everyone, I go to their portfolio, I look at them, I check them on Twitter to see if they're assholes or not. And, (laughs) and I try, I think I've let a few assholes in actually, I feel kind of bad about it. So yeah, but we have six employees. You're in California, right? We're in Costa Mesa, California. So we are. The only Orange County startup I know of. No, I'm just kidding. There's a lot. <laughs> of Valley. But we feel like the only Orange County startup down here. You know, we raised money. We raised $2 million in February of February of last year. We haven't really announced it or anything. We just, I don't know, man. There's a time to, there's a time to like talk about your stuff and there's a time to do your stuff. Right. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're doing the work, you know, we're not. So anyway, that's a really long answer to your question. <laughs> I've, I've built a lot of startups. I also helped co-found some earlier companies before Dig, designed by humans. And T Fury, hmm. uh, they they became competitors to Threadless. They're both T-shirt sites, one a day T-shirt sites. Um, if you like T-shirts, go check those out. Yeah, and yeah, so that's it. So I think people like to hear my thoughts on design, on building startups, but I also have the experience of like you know working at YouTube and Google and like being a part of this kind of massive redesign that serves a billion users. And so as a you know. As a leadership podcast, my question to you is, you obviously have a really cool background. You've done a lot of stuff, a lot of startups, a lot of different people. So how would you describe yourself as a leader or how, more importantly, that you turn the camera and show to six people out there? If they were going to describe you as a leader, what what would they say? What 
how, how would they paint a picture of you? I think I think they would say um, I, I I think I'd say they fr- I frustrate them probably a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I I read somewhere a long time ago that when you delegate tasks, you end up hampering people a bit. So I try not to delegate tasks. What I try to do is I think a CEO has three jobs: set the vision, raise money, and uh, recruit great talent. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. That's all you should be doing. And when it comes to setting vision, that really that the, the vision needs to be something that is clear. That really like promotes like what your why is like why do you exist, and in fact even just recently our why of how might we empower how might we basically employ ten thousand people how might we get ten thousand people jobs that's really resonated with the team it really resonates with me and and so that's kind of our why right now, and what's neat about this new when you give people a why then they can self direct. They can, they can, they have that, you know, they're smart folks. They have their own tools. You want to allow for maximum flexibility and creativity. Now you got to rein that in sometimes and, uh, and that's okay too. That's also part of vision setting. So I try not to delegate tasks, but I, you know, and, and what I mean by that is I won't, I, I don't say, Hey, we need to send our email has to go out every Tuesday at five. Oh, and by the way, we need 17 media, you know, social media posts a day. Can you, Joel, will you please post 17 times a day? Oh, Hey Bjorn, we need to add feature A, B, C, and D. We don't really work that way. We work in a way that, okay, so if we want to feed 10,000 designers, what does that mean? Well, that means we need a lot of projects on our platform. Well, how do you get projects? Well, there's a lot of ways. There's Google ads, there's content writing. We're doing, a, we do our own YouTube thing. And each person, it's been interesting to see how each person takes that idea, kind of like inceptions it in their brain a little bit. And it's really cool to see how people kind of translate what you're trying to say. And it's, and it's better, I think, as leaders not to dictate what that is and be okay a little bit with some creativity coming out. I think also you need some patience too, because you're not going to see the results that you maybe want immediately out of, out of folks. Um, I think the other thing that I, I, that people would say is that I'm pretty direct and I try to be, have as much candor as I can. What I mean by that is, for example, last November I said, guys, look, here's our burn rate. We're very transparent with numbers. Here's our burn rate. In by January, we need to be at this revenue number. We, we got to be here because if we're not, you know, we only have 14 months of money left. If we're if we're not at this point, we can't raise more money and we're kind of just dead in the water. You don't want to be in a place with a startup where you have like six months of money left and you're coming from a place of desperation. And frankly, you don't want to raise another round if you're not, if your business isn't doing anything. So we, we kind of shared that in November. We talked about it once. We were very direct about it. And that's it. We don't have, have to talk about it again. So how do you balance that visionary side, which obviously you're very good at in the raising the money, to the day-to-day management of the basics? What if somebody's not performing? What if they're not doing their job? What if they're screwing around with another employee or they're doing drugs or something that, that requires, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that doesn't apply out there, but it, you know, how, how do you, uh, how do you, he, yeah. How, how do you handle not getting into the weeds and being a manager? And you just, you just asked like so many really great, fantastic questions all in one. The hardest thing to do is fire somebody. It's just so hard because you think about their economics, their family, the impact that they're going to have on everything else. But I've always looked at that as, is you, you need to let people go so that they can find the thing that's going to work with them. If they're not working here, then you're, you're kind of preventing folks 
happiness and like true fulfillment in their life. And, and you should love people enough and respect them enough to have those honest conversations with them. Now, candor is a funny thing. You have to be able to do, you have to be able to be direct in a way that when you're finished, people feel that they've been supported and they've been listened to and they've been empowered. No one, nobody likes, I mean, just think about how you were when you were in kindergarten. No one likes to be yelled at. I, so I think there's never, I, th- I think there's no justification for raising your voice. There's no justification for using kind of you statements. There's a wonderful book that I read a long time ago called Leadership and Self-Deception. Oh, yeah. I recommend it all the time. It's wonderful, right? Oh, yeah. And so, so that concept, you know, and for the, maybe have you talked about it on your podcast yeah, I talk, I talk about self-deception all the time because it's the number great. one killer of leaders. They it's so, all their blind spots. That's right. And so what what I what's been interesting is when when we're able to figure out when we when you're able to teach people to take true ownership and what that really means. You know, for example, and that's and that's kind of why I don't delegate because when people self-delegate they're coming up with the task on their own and they are automatically owning that task. They're automatically making themselves accountable. They're, you know, it's not, I don't own it. They own it. And, and you came up with that idea. You decided to write a blog post every week. You put yourself in that, in that position. I want to support you any way I can. Let me block out your Friday for you. Let me do whatever I can do. Let me get in, let me hire an editor for a hundred bucks to help you facilitate that. I think if you find yourself as a leader delegating all these micro tasks, then you have the wrong hire yeah. or you have some daddy issues or something and you feel like you got to like <laughs> control everybody, which is, which, which is also a big thing, right? Like there, there are, there is, since you're an arbiter group fan, then you probably love the idea of genius with a thousand helpers versus kind mm-hmm. of these other kind of things. Yeah. And, and I don't want to get all buzzwordy on people, but, um, that, there's a weird thing though with leaders who ha- are charismatic and are able to do that kind of reality distortion thing because to be frank, you can get shit done fast. Like you can talk people into things. It's a short-term gain though. Resentment will build up. And the only reason people leave their jobs is because they hate their bosses. That's it. I don't care what anybody says. They're, they're going to say, I don't like the work, this, that, and the other. Yeah, bull crap. You hate your boss. I'm not getting paid enough. No, you hate your boss. And you hate working for them and you hate going there every day. Because people work for no pay. People work on projects they hate because they love the people that they're working with and they, that they feel good about. So, I mean, you know, the, the art of the one-on-one is, is, is a spectacular craft for folks of wonderful soft skill that people need to do. People don't do them because it's a selfless act really. Cause when you have a one-on-one, you got to sit, you got to listen, yeah. you got to hear about drama at home. You got to hear about drama in the workplace. And many times you want to vent. However, I will say when I'm in a one-on-one and someone starts complaining about somebody else, I'll be like, hold on a second <laughs> and I'll go get the other person. And I'll bring them in. <laughs> oh yeah. They don't like that. <laughs> they don't like, they don't like that. And it, and it does, it does diminish some trust a little bit, but I, then I try to figure out how to bring those two folks together yeah. and how to and kind of mediate those, those, that relationship a little bit. Cause a lot of times it is miscommunication. A lot of time people are, are just busy and they just kind of forget things or whatnot. And there wasn't enough follow-up, whatever, whatever the reasons are. What I've found is that conflict creates clarity though. And so you have to have this conflict for people to sit down and talk about the stuff they don't want to talk about. So if they avoid it, it doesn't create clarity. We just make assumptions and build our own cases, but conflict, especially if you drag somebody in the office and say, okay, John Doe's saying this, Mary Sample, what do you have to say? And that conflict, even though it's uncomfortable at the time, it will create that clarity 
so that we can have dialogue and figure it out. Well, I'll tell you one, you know, one thing when I showed you our office, we're, we're set up like that on purpose. We all face each other. We're not, we could have, we're, we have a terrible use of space in our room. We could have had all the desks around the outside, but we don't. We're all in the center of the room facing each other because I want everyone to hear maybe a call I'm having with the investor, or I want the engineers to hear like maybe what Joel's, Joel and I are talking about on design. Just so, and, it, and I, you know, there might be a penalty there a little bit and how effective and how fast we can move because people are kind of like, wait, what was that? And we are fairly democratic. Like we do like to give everyone a voice. Now I'm a designer by trade. So I will say for software companies and software leaders out there, I, I do have a tip for everybody that I think is important. And um, when it comes to design, when it comes to your company's logo, to the aesthetic look and feel, to how things go, hey, you CEOs and you leaders out there, guess what? That's your that's your job. Make give everyone give give everyone a break and say, guys, look, when it comes to aesthetic and taste, I'm going to make the decision. And if you're not comfortable making that decision, that's cool. Then say, Sarah, this is her job. She's going to make the call, the subjective call on aesthetic and taste. I have seen thousand person companies, billion dollar companies come to their knees over the issue of color, copy, layout, <laughs> look and feel. And I think there's so much time wasted. A friend of mine, Daniel Brooker, wrote this great post about when NASA was developing this huge, their, for their for their launch pads, you know, these launch pads, I don't know if you've ever seen them, they're massive, giant tank things that pull the shuttle out at Cape Canaveral. Anyway, there was, there was on, the, on the plans, there was a bike shed that they were trying to build. And oh my gosh, that bike shed got more iteration and more attention <laughs> than the massive thing. <laughs> so there's all these bike shed moments that people have during the day that just, as a leader, you gotta you know be aware of when those things kind of creep up and, and you know kind of redirect folks' focus back onto the larger kind of problem at hand. Sure. I think it's also, I think it's also really important too to make sure that, I mean, something again from the design background I have is Everyone comes to their job with a certain bias, a certain certain assumptions, uh, especially in, in when you're building software in a tech startup. You you really need to understand what everyone's assumptions are, and you know, you need to make sure those assumptions get somewhat aligned, and you got to kind of like unify around a, a real central goal. For example, if I have an engineer who believes the the best way for our product to grow is to build an API and to reach out to you know a tons of a big developer community. That's all that engineer is going to think about. Mm -hmm. If I have another engineer, if I have a designer who believes no no no, we need beautiful portfolio pages and beautiful profiles. That's all they're going to do. We need to all kind of generally agree with kind of the problem we're trying to solve. And I think that's really hard to. Get, get a problem statement. How do you know it's a problem? How do you know when you've solved it? How do you know to even articulate what that problem is? I've tried to make my emails really short. I don't say hi anymore. I just like try to write a sentence. I try to be really careful with what I share as my opinion because I get, unfortunately, it, if I say, if I, I've noticed that when I share a very strict opinion, it, like, it just kind of happens. And I think that's bad. I think that um, it cuts people off at the knees a little bit. It makes them feel not listened to and not empowered. I hate the word empower. Everyone uses these dumb words all the time, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. This so how, how do you know if you've hired the right people and how long do you wait to find out if you think you've hired the wrong person to set them free? Yeah. I think there's a 90 day rule for every human being in your life. <laughs> I think, I think 
whether it's work or relationships or anything like this, I think, I think we give everybody naturally, we just kind of give them 90 days just as people. I'm not saying there's like some official HR policy sure, or whatever. Sure. I'm just saying that we, in 90 days, you're sitting back, you're making decisions. Am I going to listen to this person or not? Is what they're saying true or untrue? Are they someone I can trust? All these kind of things are happening to us subconsciously. And I think that's a good rule for working with folks. I mean, we have this month, we've brought some folks on to help us with PR, with social media and different things. And we did bring them on as contractors. We're going to see how it goes. You know, we're going to get a feel for that because I don't know a lot about PR stuff. I don't know a lot about these things. Uh, and so we'll see how they work with the team. Do they, does the team feel energized when they're with them? Do they, do they listen to other people? Do they interrupt a lot? Are they, mm-hmm. you know, I hate that. Like, you know, there's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting when I interview, it's funny. One of the things I do when I interview people this is so bad, but I, I ask them, I say, tell me, I was like, tell me about yourself. You know, kind of how you guys did at the beginning of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And literally after about a minute or two of them talking, I interrupt them on purpose and it's a test. And I interrupt them with like an idea that's totally orthogonal to whatever they were talking about. And I only do that to see how they're going to react. And, and you always get one of two reactions. You get one where people are like, uh, what? Um, <laughs> hold on. Let me just finish this story over here. They can't switch really fast. Then the other reaction is folks who are like, oh, dude, I love llamas too. Llamas are amazing. <laughs> Have you seen any in Peru? And so and, and that, that ability to me tells you so much about a person. Because no matter how smart you are, how much you're getting paid, how far, you know, if you're some executive or some, you know, entry, you just got out of college, you have to be the kind of person that when someone asks you for help, you help. Even if it's like, get me, can you get me a key? Or if someone shows up to the door with a package, you cannot surround yourself with the folks that are like, I don't get the packages. That's the receptionist (laughs) job. I don't do this. And so I believe that people who can't handle being interrupted, like people who can't handle the the social stress of that are not good people to work with. That's one of your triggers, huh? That's that's an indicator for you. That's an indicator for me because I I know what's going to happen. They're going to come in here and after about a month, they're going to be working and someone's going to interrupt them on Slack. They're going to interrupt them on a text. They're going to shoulder tap them. And if they're not able to manage that stress and they're always getting annoyed all the time, it, like they're not hurting. Like the only person they're hurting is is themselves, and they don't realize that maybe there's boundaries that they need to personally set up. Maybe they need to go to another room. Maybe they put their headphones on, but then actually communicate. Hey guys, when I have my headphones on, I would appreciate it if you don't talk to me because I really need to. That means I'm focusing for work. There's a lot of passive aggressiveness that's built inside of there, and I believe that passive aggressiveness is the one trait that that hurts most relationships. And you don't need to be. That's not about being extroverted, and it's not about being introverted. Passive aggressiveness is is this thing that creeps up on all of us. We all do it. And it's a fear of being intimate with someone and being vulnerable. It's mm-hmm. a fear of telling someone, hey, look, when you didn't hear my idea, you made me feel not really valued as a part of this team. I love this team and I want to, I want to be able to share my ideas. You don't have to agree with them, but I want to be able to share my ideas and give my input because I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Yeah. And a lot of folks aren't used to even talking that way. You know, they have the dialogue in their head. <laughs> they have their dialogue in their head and they, and they believe that because they're thinking of it, uh, everyone's like hearing them. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, I tend to communicate that way naturally. And I have found that others have tended to kind of learn from that. I wrote a stupid blog post called Soft Skills Kung Fu. And I, and I wrote like 10 like words that I use all the time. For example, instead of saying, like when someone asks me something on Slack, 
or something. And I know it's only going to take, it's, I, I, I know I can get to it, but it's going to take me like 10 or 20 minutes instead of saying, you got to say something. Mm-hmm. So I always say, please hold, please hold. <laughs> like, and I, and it's, it's worked wonders. Now everyone is always saying like, please hold to each other. It's kind of funny. <laughs> um, when other, when other, when other times people have just told me like a, like a status report, like, Hey, by the way, I got that thing done or whatever. I don't say, okay. I say, got it. Or I say, thank you. know, I say, thank you. I try to say something. I, I usually say, got it. Like, got it. Just to let people know. Cause if you say, okay, it's like nebulous, mm-hmm. but if you say, so there's these little phrases anyway, I'll share the article with you guys. There's these little phrases and like I, and I kind of go formal too. Like in the morning, I'll be like, hello, kind sir. Hello, kind miss. How are you? <laughs> and it just is like this weird, like offsetting kind of thing that like gets people like, oh, I'm good. How are you? Hello, <laughs> sir. And it introduces politeness kind of naturally in a weird way. All right. I'm, I'm going to pivot on you for a second because yeah, this, pivot, is re- this is really interesting. To me, we believe that you become the average of the seven closest people in your life. So we're talking about you leading others. Who do you look at? Who do you hang with? Who do you get advice from? How do you get fed instead of feeding all the time? I've been lucky to work with uh, really great leaders. I really have. I mean, Kevin Rose, he gets a lot of flack because I think he's so... He has a very laid back kind of feel to him. And if you read anything he writes or see, he's done a bunch of interviews with his, he has a video show called Foundation or his like relationship with Tim Ferriss. It feels very like playful and kind of chill and laid back. But I've worked with the guy. The guy works like 15, 16, 17 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And he's very thoughtful about his relationships with other people. Always sending a little birthday text, always sending a little note out. And I, and I, because he genuinely just cares. There's a, there's a great book called, um, as a man thinketh, I think. Hmm. Have you read this? It's really super thin. I don't think so. All right. The heart of it, the heart of the message is this, like what you kind of feel inside of your core. And I, and I, and I'll get back to your question, like on direct mentors, but what you kind of feel at your core about other people is what you feel. You can try to frost over it with platitudes, with the, with the best looking suit, with the firmest handshake. If you hate people, they will feel it regardless. Mm. Yeah. If you genuinely, if you genuinely have contentment and disdain and, you know, whatever for somebody, it doesn't matter what you say to them. Your body language will betray you and you have to figure out a way to love humanity. You, you really do. And you have to get to into your attitude that the job of a leader, my job is to help these folks in their life and on their career and on whatever they want to do. If they want to be the best CTO co-founder ever, like Bjorn, who I have, who is, then I need to understand what, what he cares about. What is he motivated? Is he motive? Is it money? Is he doing this so he can make a couple of, you know, get a financial kind of win and then do something else? What is that? Does he want to be a VC someday? I don't know. Does he just want to keep building companies? Maybe he just wants to make a flower shop. And, and, and so I think it's understanding that, um, the other person I think that's been a really big influence for me is frankly, and I, gosh, I just, I try to read, I just try to read things. I mean, I, my mom and dad were both entrepreneurs. They never worked for anybody. My dad owns a couple of gas stations out in Virginia and that's kind of what we did. So I guess I always looked to them. I was like, Oh, if you like want to do a thing and just go do a thing. Like yeah. I just thought that's kind of how you do things, but I've had to learn the soft skill aspects. A wonder, I had a wonderful boss at YouTube named Margaret Stewart. Margaret is a, d- a director of design at Facebook now. Margaret was 
I'll never forget this. I was like a week or two into my job and we'd been acquired, right? And so we'd been more aqua hired and the difference for, the, for, you know, I'm sure people know, but like when you get an aqua, when you get acquired, like Instagram got acquired by Facebook, we got aqua hired, which means we got like fancy salaries. They're like, Hey, you guys are really good, but your startup isn't worth that much money. So just come on in here. We'll give you like a nice bonus. <laughs> and so, so it's cool. It's cool. And at the time I was so arrogant, right? 2011, I thought I was a badass designer. I came in with with this idea that I was going to be like the Johnny Ives of YouTube and like change everything. Google doesn't know anything about design. Google has gone through a huge revolution of design, by the way. I mean, really much better now. Fantastic, actually. But in 2011, that's not what I thought. I thought I could come in there and save their problems. And so I so I so I get my first one in one on one with Margaret. And I, I don't remember her exact words, so I'm going to paraphrase the spirit of the meeting, paraphrase the spirit of the meeting. And I was asking her about, hey, what's up with so-and-so? What's up with so-and-so? What's up with so-and-so? I kept like, what's up with you know the CEO? What's up with this guy? What's up with that guy? Like I was talking to her as if we were in a bar and like asking <laughs> – I was asking very gossipy questions. Right. They were very gossipy. They had no, And I remember she just looked at me and – and I forget even what she said, but she said something in the spirit of, she's like, she just basically said something like, you don't need to ask questions like that. Why are you asking questions like that? That's not how we are here. That's not what we do. We don't talk about people like that. Hmm. And I was just, I, and she said it like way cooler than that. Not like, <laughs> not like kind of mean or whatever, but I just remember it just, it just set a trigger in my head and just like knocked me on my butt forever more after that point. I'm like, wow, she's right. It's cultural. Like, yeah. Culture, man. Culture, oh. yeah. And the she other, other, she didn't want it to creep outside of the culture that was already there. It was a it was a beautiful thing that she did for me. She gave me that gift of she held up this mirror to me and be like, Why are you being a gossipy little bitch right now? Mm-hmm. Why why are you trying to figure out why are you trying to like figure out some political wormhole to to leverage things? And it was awesome. And that was the one, that was probably the biggest thing I loved about Google in general, uh, was that folks had, had this idea of radical candor, uh, had this idea of just being very blunt with you and very direct, painful at times, you Mm -hmm. know, it would suck sometimes because, you know, folks would say things that were not justified, that were mean, (laughs) frankly, that's a problem with being direct is people think that means being mean for mean. And that's not what that means. I'll tell you another interesting moment um, of someone who impacted me a lot. And it was, it was my mom's sister. She's a breast cancer survivor. This is many years ago. This is probably 15 years ago. And we were at a dinner. And I think I was just making jokes. I'm the oldest of seven kids. I'm always like making jokes and messing around. And I have, I have two daughters and a son. At the time, I had only had one, one of my daughters. I had one daughter. And I was making jokes around the dinner table, making people laugh. But the jokes were hard. They were, they were cynical. They were sarcastic. They were, they had that tone mm-hmm. and I would never, she grabbed me by the arm and she's, you know, she goes, Mark, your cynicism is going to destroy your daughters. Mm. It's going to destroy your kids. You, you are the only source of hope for them. You're the only source of hope for your family. So create a world and a culture. They're going to get all the cynicism they need from the world. Don't worry. And she, and she also told me, she's like, being cynical is easy. It's easy to talk like that. What's hard is being hopeful and enthusiastic and kind. And so I think that's the biggest culture thing that we have too going for us is we don't, there, we don't have a single cynical person here. We don't have a single passive aggressive person here. You know, folks are willing, they have enough self-awareness to be confident when someone 
you know, rubs them the wrong way to kind of talk about it and share it. And that's, and I think that cynicism is, uh, and being sarcastic, mm-hmm. you know, to make a point. I'm like, it's not very, it's not very creative. <laughs> like there's better ways to make your point mm. that don't hurt somebody. And it's kind of easy. It's kind of a cheap, it's a cheap win. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I, sorry, I don't have like some big, like, Oh, Nelson Mandela. Or... <laughs> no, it, but, usually it isn't the biggest impacts in our lives are the people that are closest to us, sister-in-laws and ex-bosses yep. and that kind of stuff, because leadership truly is about relationships, relationships with the people around you and understanding emotional intelligence and self-deception and all the stuff that you've touched on. Uh, we totally agree with hundred percent. So, so what's next for you? What's the next three, five years? What's it look like? What, what, what are you trying to accomplish? I'm trying to keep our business afloat for the next three months. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, we, Let's we focus. like, when, oh yeah. When we, I have no idea a year from now, what's going to, where I'm going to be, what I'm going to be doing. No clue. No idea. I hope I'm doing this. When you when you do a startup, you know you you somehow convince some folks to give you enough money to experiment on your idea. And we've been we've been blessed to be able to do that for the last year. And uh, we finally, after four tries, guys, four versions of our app, we finally got something that is making money Great. Uh, while we while we're asleep. It's not making a lot of money, but it's making some. And so that's that's what we're doing. I you know. On a personal level, last year, uh, my health was poor. I let myself go. And so, you know, part of the new, you know, whatever, New Year's resolution, you know, just working hard on on, on just taking care of myself personally because I find that when I'm in good shape, you know, the, uh, I'm much better able to serve the folks here. Painting a lot. But, guys, honestly, I, I've, never, I've never thought about what's five years from now. Hmm. I never have. I've never planned. I just haven't. I've always just kind of followed, you know, they, there's that term like happy go lucky. And for me, what that meant is when I've pursued the things that make me happy, I tend to get lucky. I paint a lot at night. I've been trying to, I'm doing a stupid thing in January, painting one painting every day. And, and that's dumb because, uh, I was up till three in the morning last night. Well, what, what are you going to do with them? I don't know. What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, you sell some of them, right? Can you sell yeah, them? No, I, I typically in the over the last few years I painted and I post them and folks buy them and and I think that's really neat. It's like crazy to think like someone would want a painting in their house. So that, that's cool. Um, I thought I thought maybe I'd reach out to like Surfrider Foundation or maybe someone else, maybe like split proceeds or something. But I don't know. I'm not worried about that because I just got to get through the 30 days and yeah. like keep painting, keep painting. <laughs> What, what, I mean, what are you guys going to do in five years? I have no clue. But yeah. I, how, do you, how do you answer that? I'm kind of the same way. I hope that I'm continuing to do what I do right now, but I, I try to limit my past and I focus on where I'm headed. That windshield's bigger than a rearview mirror kind of deal. So similar. We try and impact as many people as we can. We have a number of people all over the world that, that listen to us and go through our classes and, and focus on leadership. And that's really our intent. And the more people we can impact, the better we are. And that's kind of the goal. Podcasting is fairly new to us. Randy's the one that talked me into it. Yeah. And I, I like what yeah. you said about finding what makes you happy and going towards that. Because if it's if you're passionate about it, you're going to do better at it. Then even if it's something that you know is a, a good financial decision, if you're not passionate, it's not going to work for you. Trying We actually just started eight months ago with this. And so mm-hmm. this is fairly new for us. But I enjoy talking to interesting people. So... That makes me happy, and it's something we can, you know, put forward. Yep. I, de- I definitely, I definitely think, you know, folks are always like, follow your passion, follow your bliss, these kind of things. I, I gotta add the caveat though that there is this little triangle of things that people need in their life, things yeah. that make you happy, 
and things that you are actually proficient at. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. So you gotta, you gotta lay those all on top of each other. I, I mean, to your point earlier about the paintings, I don't know that I would do them if people didn't buy them because doing a startup, I have a suppressed salary. And so when I'm able to do, when I'm able to make a couple extra grand a month, guess what? That helps my kids. Yeah. And that absolutely. makes me feel like I'm providing for my family. And that, that, so that value of what I'm doing, gosh, thank, it's amazing. And I'm one of the luckiest people in the world because I love des- doing software design. I love opening up Sketch, Photoshop, Illustrator, whatever it might be, and creating things. Now it's mobile. Now it's here on our phones. Before it was web, before that was print. I, I, I didn't know there was a thing called the internet when I started doing this in 1996. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there was going to be this in everybody's hands. And that was going to be like a thing and that people cared about it and pay you for it. And the, and the startup thing is kind of new. I've never been, this is the first time I've been a CEO. This is the first time, most of the time I've been a co-founder. Mm-hmm. And so I've been able to just jump on the coattails of somebody else. And that's been quite interesting. I've had to learn a lot of different things there. That was one of the reasons I thought it'd be good to talk to you because you, you've seen both <laughs> sides of it. And also like we've had a lot of um, logical or traditional type leaders, but I feel like you probably have to fight the creative and the leadership aspect because <laughs> one's a little bit more logical. Yeah, I have a hard time making the trains run on time. I do. That's my that's my biggest flaw. I don't I probably if we're successful, I'm going to have to find my Sheryl Sandberg. I'm going to have to find my Eric Schmidt you know, mm-hmm. to come in and help kind of bring that structure to thing. My, I just don't think that way. I, it's so hard for me. I don't. I almost, I almost get stressed out when things are too organized. I'm like, oh, is that we're done? Like we're good? That's weird. Like you can't be right. <laughs> let's blow something up. Yeah, let's blow something up. I mean, I, I bought a skateboard for the office, and we have times here on how fast we can, we can all skateboard around the the pod here. So it's a little <laughs> contest we're doing. But I also am very practical. I think I think the other, you know, going way back to the beginning of the podcast, something that you had asked me earlier, I, my thing that I don't do very well is when I lose interest in, in a person or an idea, I just, I drop it. Hmm. And I take, I just, I just drop it. And I know that I've abandoned some folks a little too early and not given them a lot of chances. And I've just been like, okay, well, if that's not going to work, then I'm like, okay, no harm, no foul. And I just kind of move on to something else. And I think that's not okay. I think you need to have patience with people and patience with ideas and and definitely focus. I will say that's one thing I, I think I have been better at is focusing on, I'm only doing this in painting and in, in family and that's it. Mm-hmm. And traditionally I haven't done that. Traditionally I've done a, you know, Oh, what's this squirrel? You squirrel. know, I'm like, yep. yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah. So I think I, I also believe you got to be instinctual. I, I like, I don't spend a lot of time watching Gary V's daily V. I don't, I don't, I don't watch Casey Neistat. I don't spend a lot of time seeing what other people are doing. I just don't, I don't have the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I also even feel kind of uncomfortable, like talking about what things, because I don't feel like we've accomplished anything. <laughs> I don't feel, I don't feel like we have anything to talk about really. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like we're, you guys are like getting us right in the heart of building. Yeah. And, um, you caught me on a good day. Like <laughs> some days I'm like super depressed cause it doesn't work and it's like sucky and you know, people, your fa- family's mad at you because you're not home enough and all this, all this, all the things that we all, that every human has to deal with. It's silly to think that people don't need to deal with this crap. No, you know? we all do. And, and, you know, we interview lots and lots of people and the ones that are truly transparent, like you're being right now, tell the truth. You know, we have great days. We have really bad days. We have days where we feel like we can conquer everything. And there's days we walk in and no matter what we do, even our dog doesn't love us that day. We 
are so down. <laughs> and and it's that, okay, I'm becoming the average of the seven closest people in my life. When I have these down days, where am I getting my energy from? Who's feeding me or who's sucking the energy out of me? And how do I how do I get back on track, get back focused, get that passion back in it and stay on track. And so we love to interview guys like you because the more honest, the more transparent, more open you are, the more people keep coming back and listening to this podcast because it's real. There, there has to be, there has to be something inside of you that, that drives you. And for me, I've been lucky to have kids and, and they just drive me to build a world for them. But that's also kind of a lie. Cause I also want to do it for myself well, yeah. and, I, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and act like, Oh yeah, it's all for the family. Uh, it's also for myself too, you know? And, and I think that there's a part of me that when I was working with Kevin or even going into YouTube and Google, there's a part of me that always wondered, like when you work at YouTube or Google, people want to interview you and invite you to their conferences, all this kind of stuff, just cause you work there. Mm-hmm. It's not cause you're good. I mean, you might be good, but the, <laughs> But I thought, well, what if I just leave all that behind? And, and a funny thing, actually, when I left and started Design Inc., I changed my Twitter bio. I just said CEO and founder of Design Inc., and I left off everything else. So I recently put it all back on. In my past, I uh, did this blah, blah, blah. Because uh, I, I've, been finding, I've been trying to reach out to press, and I've been finding it. I, do, I just tell the story of Design Inc. initially, and it's not enough. Yeah. And I, and I, unfortunately I've had to like say, okay, fine. I've done some stuff in the past too. Oh, interesting. Let's talk. Yeah. <laughs> and I hate that. I hate that. I hate that we'd have to do that. And I hate that. Like, so I want to, I don't know. I want to see if we can make this and go. You can. Cause if we can, cause you if we make this can. and go, then you're going to have, you know, we're going to start with 10,000 creatives, but, but we'll get to a million and imagine, you know, there's 7 billion people on this earth for crying out loud. And there's hundreds of millions that probably do creative things. And, and I just think it'd be really neat to be able to build up this gig economy and this ecosystem and, and empowering people. And even, even you guys for your, for your podcast, you need graphics. You probably need transcription. You probably need, I don't know, maybe we do. don't. We do. And, uh, and, and, you know, you're willing to throw a few hundred bucks at it. And yep. there's someone probably in St. Louis right now who can help you. And that's why the heck design Inc even exists. All right. So, so here's what we're going to do. We've chewed up a lot of do? your day. I want to help your business blow up and succeed. So you tell me what can we do? Our little network of yeah. partners that are out there. How do we help you? Thank you. I appreciate that. Full pitch mode. Okay. So Let's hear turn it. Turn off. You Bring can it on podcast now, <laughs> but if you don't, I'll promise to tell you a funny dad joke at the end. Okay. Keep listening. Deal. The best thing that folks can do is just give us a try. Design Inc. is free. Go to designinc.com. If you have any kind of creative need, writing, photography, web design, UX design, hard apps, UI, illustration, whatever the heck you can dream up of, it's dead simple. Go to Design Inc., hit the button, write a few notes really quick, and boom. That goes to our huge community of designers. They've all been handpicked. They're all vetted. They've all worked for like fancy companies like Google and whatever, but they're not fancy people. They're nice. They're kind. And they'll send you back <laughs> proposals. You get to pick the one you want to work with and work with them. And then guess what? If you love working with them, keep working with them. You don't have to come back to our site and pay us any kind of crap. We don't care about that. We truly care about facilitating that that relationship. And that's it. Now, ready for the dad joke? Yeah, let's hear the dad joke. <laughs> what did the, what did, the, <laughs> I don't want to screw it up. <laughs> what did the, what did the ocean say to the beach? What? Nothing. It just waved. Uh, (laughs) man i really appreciate it thank you so much and thanks guys okay appreciate it thanks see you
Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.